This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our text that was read came from the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter, and the reading was from the 11th through the 14th verses. I'll read it again, but after the 14th verse, I'm going to jump to the 17th and the 18th verses. It reads as follows. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Picking up verse 17. I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. This is the third Sunday in the month of February where we reflect, honor, and celebrate black history. A history that chronicles the struggles of a people who have endured immense hardship at the hands of fellow human beings who claim to have a moral authority to do the things they do. Now to be clear when we speak about black history, we tend to talk specifically about the central role that African Americans have played in shaping U.S. history, from slavery and its abolition to the Great Migration through to the Civil Rights Movement and all scientific, cultural, and political movements. We tend to think that that's the extent of black history. But black history is so much more than African-American history. And so to really understand black history, you would have to chase its genesis all the way back to creation. Now, while we can speculate about whether Adam and Eve were black or if Noah's son Ham was black, the fact is black people have had to deal with all manner of persecution and oppression ever since the dawn of creation. For the most part, black people have never had a time in our history when the world, as we saw and experienced it, was anything other than violent, corrupt, and wicked. But in framing black history around African-American history, we do get a glimpse into the spirit and the mindset of the oppressor. African-American black history provides us with a basic framework that while specific and unique to this hemisphere, helps us to draw on certain themes that have general and global implications. So today, 
as we reflect, honor, and celebrate black history, I want to look at our oppressive environment and try to see if we can bring a sense of meaning to our collective plight. And I aim to do this in a message I have titled very simply, The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are truly grateful, we are truly thankful that we are here today. It didn't have to be this way, but we are here today. Not because anything about us was so good or so wonderful, but because everything about you is great. So now, Spirit of the living God, send now the sword of the Spirit and penetrate the heart, piercing through bone and marrow, joints and sinews. Spirit of the living God, pierce the flesh so that the Spirit can live. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a 2017 article in Al Jazeera which states that the history of African Americans, which is to say the history of America, is a pendulum of resilience and retaliation. Now, while that might be a nice little sentiment, the truth is, in my opinion, the quote should read this way. The history of African Americans, which is to say the history of America, is a pendulum of resilience and resistance, not retaliation. Africans, ever since they were being brought to the United States of America and to the Caribbean during the Middle Passage, were always resilient and always resisted, not really retaliating. While there have been revolts and uprisings such as the Haitian Revolution and the revolt of Denmark Vesey, the fact is African Americans do not, by nature it would seem, engage in retaliation. When a Hamas-led Palestinian militant group launched a surprise attack on October 7th, brutally killing 1,139 Israelis and foreign nationals, including 766 civilians and 373 security forces, and took as captives 253 Israelis and foreigners in the Gaza Strip, Israel retaliated by killing more than 28,858 Palestinians, including over 10,000 children, 152 UN staff members, 70 journalists, and 7,000 women, with another 7,000 people missing and presumed dead under the rubble of destroyed buildings. Furthermore, Israel had dropped more than 29,000 bombs on Gaza, destroying or damaging 70% of homes in the Strip, all on a level that experts, not me, say is a scale and pace of destruction that is among the most severe ever in modern history. That's what retaliation looks like. African Americans in all of their movements in history, whether civil rights 
or the March on Washington or Black Lives Matter have always been resilient in resisting oppression and injustice, but never engaging in retaliation. In fact, you can remember even after the killing of the nine people we call the Emmanuel Nine, on CNN, when they were talking to one of the relatives, she forgave him. The news media couldn't understand. How can you forgive someone who has done? It's like, you don't understand the God I serve. My heart don't take me to a place of retaliation. My heart takes me to a place of forgiveness. What I'm talking about, church, is the spirit of the African-American. Retaliation, from what I've seen and what I've experienced, doesn't seem to be coursing through our veins. We don't get back at you. We grow stronger. We are resilient in our resistance. And if you don't know that by now, you will never, never, never know us. In fact, to retaliate on the scale that Israel is engaging in in Gaza has moved, in my opinion, from justice for the October 7th attack to vengeance. And the spirit of the African American is not one of retaliation nor of vengeance. Especially since God himself says in Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter, he says, vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. The apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 12 and the 17th verse, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So, despite the atrocities that have befallen people of African descent on a scale so much greater than that which have befallen other communities and peoples of the world in their recorded history, scarcely if ever do you hear African Americans retaliating, especially out of vengeance when 3,446 blacks were lynched between 1882 and 1982, according to the Tuskegee Institute, African Americans did not retaliate. When between 1525 and 1866, this is black history, yes? 12.5 million Africans were shipped to the New World with only 10.7 million surviving the Middle Passage and disembarking in North America, the Caribbean, and South America, Africans did not retaliate. When Emmett Till, Dr. King, Medgar Evers, and a whole host of people killed at the hands of white supremacists, African Americans did not retaliate. When Henry Truman, Lizzie Durr, Luther Jackson, Amadou Diallo, Sean Bell, Botham Jean, Breonna Taylor, and Clifford Brooks, to name a few, were killed by law enforcement. African Americans did not retaliate. And if some of those names don't sound familiar to you, listen, when I prepared this, go back to the 1800s. 
because it didn't start yesterday. I could go on and on, but I think you get the point. And so with all this evil against black people that were taking place in the world, an evil that was uniquely perpetrated against a specific group of people, an evil that was corrupt and full of violence and occurring all over the world, I wondered where and why, and more importantly, how black people cope. How do we cope? <laughs> how are we able to be so resilient, so resistant, and yet so graceful under these most wicked and miserable circumstances. I think they were able to cope because of their faith. Despite living in the most violent and deplorable conditions, they held on to their faith. And God, I believe, credited to us as righteousness. Which brings me to our text in Genesis. Which again reads, with all I've just shared, Listen to the spirit of the text. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. So with all the violence taking place in the world due to corruption, God finds a righteous person and tells him to build an ark. Now here's where the message gets a little bit funky, and I want you to stay with me because I think there is something here for us. There are actually two different types of arks that are mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Namely, the Ark of Noah and the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of Noah, which was a large wooden boat that Noah constructed for housing his family during the flood, is called Teva. That's the word for it, Teva. While the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box coated in gold in which the tablets of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and a bowl of manna were stored. This ark was called the Aaron. So you have the Teva and the Aaron. Are you with me? So we have two different words in the Hebrew language that is translated in our language, ark. Now the similarities between the Teva, Noah's ark, and the Aaron, or the Aaron, the ark of the covenant, are that they are both storage devices. So the only way to really understand them is to look at their differences and how they are used and what they store. Let's begin with the Teva, the Ark of Noah. In the Bible, the word Teva appears in two contexts. First, and get this, the Ark made by Noah is one instance of the word Teva. And the second instance was the basket that baby Moses was placed in when his mom put him on the water to save him from all the people that wanted to kill the children. So we can reasonably conclude that the teva is used for st storage for live persons. That is Noah and his family or the baby 
Moses, both being saved and kept afloat on water. Y'all yeah. are seeing this, right? Yeah. Now, now, an interesting tidbit here is that Jewish scholars state that the word teva is also related to the Hebrew word used for house, which is bayit, because they both contain the same letter. So with all of that fancy Bible study stuff, the implication here is that the teva, in some ways, is like a person's home. We're going somewhere. Let's look at the Ark of the Covenant, the second Ark. Now, the word is Aran, and it's also used in two contexts in the Bible, just like the Teva. The first is where the Ark of Covenant had three objects inside of it, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and the bowl of manna, like I told you. The second instance of that use of that word is like a coffin where Joseph's dead body was placed in. So we can reasonably conclude that the Aran is used to store dead things and does not involve floating on water. Are you with me? Yeah. So just to be clear, the Teva is an ark that stores a live person on water, like a boathouse, and the Aran is an ark that stores a dead person, like a coffin. So now that we understand these two types of ark, we again recognize that with all the violence taking place in the world due to corruption, God finds a righteous person and tells him to build an ark. God tells this righteous person to build a table for himself and for his family and to make it out of cypress wood and to make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. But the thing that I like about the text more than anything else, is where with all of this, God says to Noah, make yourself an ark. Noah, with everything going on, make yourself an ark. And only after God said that did he then start to give Noah instructions on how to build it. Noah had to first decide in his mind to obey God's overall instruction, overall instruction, before he would receive the details. In a similar way, God says to all of us with his overall instructions, overall instructions, believe in the Lord Jesus. Which must be obeyed before any other detail or specifics follow. It is the quintessence of faith. It is pointless for us to engage in academic debates and theological posturing about Jesus before one has first obeyed this primary instruction to believe in him. This is why we have the sign here which says, just believe. So Noah, make yourself an ark is a statement of faith. you got to first, listen, Noah had no idea what an ark was. Never seen a boat and had never seen rain. So God says to you, believe in the Lord Jesus. <laughs> what does that mean? What do you do with that? Believe in the Lord Jesus. God says, take up where you are and go to a land I will show you. Go where? Do what? What does that mean? What do I do now? You get my point. So the purpose of the ark, the teva, was to save Noah and his family from the floodwaters that God was going to bring on the earth to destroy all life under heaven and every creature that has breath of life in it. 
Everything, God says, that is on the earth will perish. But God also said that he would establish a covenant with Noah and that he will enter the ark, him and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. And God was doing all of this just because he saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways and that the earth was full of violence. This corruption and violence is what black people have witnessed and endured since the dawn of time. Our people have been victim to brutality on a scale that some experts estimate to have claimed the lives of over 50 to 60 million people with 15 million Africans dying through just the Middle Passage alone during the 365 year period from 1501 to 1866. This would make the slave trade the worst human-inflicted atrocity ever and qualifies, and I don't hear this language, but you're going to hear it today, the African Holocaust. Come on. Come on. So this forces me to ask the question in black history. As I think about all of this and I see the wickedness in the world and read and understand what we have faced as a people, I have to ask the question, God, where is our ark? For it's hard to think that God who saw fit to destroy the entire earth because of corruption and violence that he saw in Noah's day did not see the corruption and violence that we as people of African descent are facing. Why did God send an ark for righteous Noah and not an ark for righteous Kunta. Or did he? Let's look again at our text. <laughs> this time we're going to jump to verse 17. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. As I said before, teva is used as a storage device for keeping live persons who are being saved and afloat flood waters. Seas and flood waters in Jewish literature always refers to evil. This is why when Jesus walked on water in the midst of a raging storm, it was a picture of his authority over evil. And Jesus has the authority yesterday and today to still say, peace be still, as he rebukes the wind and speaks to the waves. And so when God says there was violence and corruption in the world, it was a reference that would show that the world would be overcome with evil. But the evil would not go away. And so the ark, the teva, was made a place of refuge for the remnant and for those that are being saved as long as they remained inside the Teva they would be free from the destruction of the floodwaters and the Bible says that the ark the Teva was also to be made of cypress wood which was a dense wood and that it was to be coated inside and outside with pitch making it waterproof and the remnant would enter the ark and be safe from the floodwaters outside because nothing evil can get 
into the ark, the houseboat. Furthermore, the Bible says that the ark, the table, was to have rooms inside of it. Rooms inside, many, many rooms to accommodate not just Noah, but Noah's wife and his sons and his sons' wives who would all be kept made to dwell in the ark of safety. But the part I especially love is verse 18 where it says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. This means that the ark of Noah, the Teva, the place where the living dwell in safety from the floodwaters of evil was also a covenanted ark, just like the Aaron, which was the ark of the covenant. And both Teva and Aaron represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ark of the covenant. And when God said that the earth was full of violence due to the slave trade and the dehumanization of Africans, they would endure the middle passage. And when God saw that they would, what they would do to Toussaint and Sam Sharp and Nanny and Bogle, and when God saw how many ways that white supremacy and Jim Crow would serve to disenfranchise the lives of thousands of black people in this country and when God saw what they would do to Emmett and Edgar Martin and Marcus Denmark and Diallo and when God saw the strange fruit hanging from poplar trees he said this to black people everywhere make yourself an ark but this ark has only one door through which you must enter in order to be saved from the flood and in this ark you enter by faith in Jesus once and for all for his sacrificial death on a cross and when you enter this ark God himself will close the door so that those people outside who choose not to enter the ark's door would be left to face the destructive forces of the flood. And this ark, which is made without hands, is my house. And in my house, it has many rooms. And if that were not so, Jesus would not have told you that he was going to prepare a place for you. And if he goes and prepares a place for you, he will come back and take you to be with him that you also may be where he is. But you must enter by first believing. And when you believe, Floodwaters will come on the earth to destroy all life under heaven. Every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I, I, I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark. You and your wife and your son's wives with you for they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west 
and fear his glory from the rising of the sun. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And that standard will be in my name. And if you abide in me, I will abide in you. But you must believe. So God sees the wickedness done to our people. And he sent us the Ark of the Covenant, which is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is both the Teva and the Aran. And he has been and is the safe harbor for every single person since he died and rose again from the dead. And in the timeless words of Toni Morrison, racial ignorance is a prison from which there is no escape because there are no doors. So the Ark of the Covenant is here for the oppressed. No matter who or where they are today. And while there is still time, the door of that Ark is open for you to enter today. Every one of you listening to me, inside you resides the resilient, resistant spirit of God that cannot ever be comfortable with evil and vengeance. And so, how do we endure? How did we make it through 400 years of oppression? How did we make it to this point and this moment? Is because, and hear my heart, church, someone was righteous and brought their son and their daughters into the ark. I don't know if you caught it. God said to Noah, I'll make a covenant with you. You, Noah, go in the ark, but bring your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. They had nothing to do with it. They just went along with Noah. You are in the ark because you were brought in by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So if you're not today in that ark, the good news is the door is open right now. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.